Hey, stranger. <laughs> Hello to everyone listening. My name is Thraya. This is the Hey Stranger podcast. And before we start, let me set the scene for you. I'm currently sitting in a chair at my local park, which also happens to be one of the biggest tourist attractions in my city. Across from me is an empty chair, and on today's and every episode, that empty chair will be filled one by one by people of different backgrounds, mindsets, and walks of life. The only criteria is that they are a stranger. All right, so um, welcome to my podcast. Thanks. <laughs> Nice to be here. <laughs> Thank you. Um, if it's not too much trouble, can you pull the mic closer to yourself a little bit? How's okay, it, that's, that? that's perfect. Thank you so much. All right, so um, like I told you off camera, the theme of my podcast is finding strangers at the park and interviewing them. All right. Uh, so thanks for coming on. I know it's probably a little bit weird. Is it weird to you? No, not at all. Okay, cool. <laughs> do you do things like this often? Uh, well, no, I haven't been interviewed in the park in quite some time, so... <laughs> but it's happened before? Oh, you know. I've been here my whole life, so I've seen a lot of things in this park. R- right. <laughs> I feel like Balboa Park is sort of magical. Would you agree? Yeah, there's there's always something. Yeah. What's the craziest thing that's happened to you here? Um, well, I had my wedding here. Oh, no way! So... We were pretty much the crazy actors. <laughs> I've never seen... I see a lot of people taking pictures, like, before their wedding and stuff, but I've never seen the wedding here. Well, we... we, I think I think the, the rules kind of changed after our wedding. Oh, I see. So we had 220 people, and we turned it into a, a big rave. Oh, really? <laughs> it was a costume masquerade rave. <laughs> I don't think the park was really ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen anything like that since, so... I have a feeling you do something really interesting for a living. Mm, no, I'm retired now. Oh, really? What do you do then? What do you like to do for fun? I I have property. Oh, okay, cool. So I just manage that. Um, so on this podcast, I also ask like really deep and personal questions too. I can live with that. Okay. The first question I have for you, uh, do you have a secret you'd be willing to share with us? I don't have any secrets. No secrets? No, not really. I uh, I had massive, massive heart failure young in life, and mm. it completely changed the course of my life. And okay. uh, I spent six years dying before I got a heart transplant. Oh, wow. So I'm, like, living a complete second chance. So I don't have time for silliness. You don't have time for secrets. Yeah, or silliness <laughs> in general. You just got to, you know, it's, I'm in the bonus round, so I you know, oh. can't really waste it. <laughs> That's such a cool way to look at it. How old were you when, like, when you first had your, like, the heart failure? Um, when I was 30, like, almost on my 30th birthday. So, um, I was an attorney, I was all sorts of things, and then all that ended. And it was before the ACA, and uh, so I didn't have insurance because I was just starting my career. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I was toast, and now I had a pre existing condition, I couldn't get insurance. So, I actually had to submit to being disabled. And I had to give up my career Dang. and bankruptcy, all kinds of stuff. I ended up with an internal um, defibrillator. This device would monitor my heart. And then if it recognized uh, a spasm, it would check back. And if it was still in the spasm, it would charge. And then it would check back. And if I was still in the spasm, it would shock me and shock my heart back into normal rhythm. Just like you could have just been walking at the park. and it Yeah, like if I would have got, but I would have passed out because I would, I'd be dying. So... And that happened. I had sudden death four times before I got a transplant. So I, I'm, I've technically died four times. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so was there any point in that time where um, you, like, 
you wanted to give up almost or you thought that it was the end of it um during that time i mean sure i mean suicidal ideation for any seriousness no not really but you know there were just times where i was ready for i was sort of just over it because you know i was failing i really couldn't even like shower without Mm -hmm. throwing up you know because i was in such a state of oxygen debt and i couldn't I didn't really sleep. I didn't dream for two years. You know, everything was, everything was bad. And so there were just times where I thought, uh, you know. <laughs> but I was hanging in there. I'd had, uh, I, I, my wife and I, um, we got pregnant, like right when all the chaos started. We got jiggy with our birth control. And, and she wanted to keep, keep the child because she was young and naive and thought she would, it would be okay to be a single mom. And it was kind of her call because I was expecting to die and everybody was saying I was not going to make it. So we ended up having our daughter. And so I really didn't want to die in front of my daughter. And I ended up the primary caregiver. Um, so that was sort of motivation to try to stay alive mm. and make it work. And wow. uh, I did. So I got lucky. I got an amazing transplant. And was reincarnated and I never looked back. Well, I'm glad you're here. Oh, thanks. Yeah. It's nice to be here. <laughs> So what what is what's like the biggest thing you took away from that? Um Wow, wow, that's there's a lot there's a lot, but it you know, like I like I tell people, you know, if you if you um can have a, a condition where you're absolutely certain you're gonna die and then you completely recover, I highly recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> because it clears up a lot of bullshit, you know. Like you you think you have it straight and then you get into a situation like that and then you realize maybe you realize a few things and and I was super ambitious I bought into the whole American dream trip and you know I thought I thought money and status and power was what I wanted what it was what you needed Mm. and uh, I realized that was not real and it was wasn't even worthy and it actually didn't make me happy I was miserable and I didn't even realize why I was miserable I thought I was doing all the right things mm-hmm. I was kicking ass and taking names but <laughs> what I was doing was just being miserable and useless in a lot I was doing good work I was a public defender you know and that's good work you need the society is judged by how we treat our wretched and we obviously don't treat them very well so the work was quality but my motivation my mindset was not and so while I was dying I realized that the greatest pleasure and gift really of living was having quality time with people and being able to eat with them particularly eat and oh. drink with them and so I realized in a lot of ways even after I was bankrupt and I didn't really have anything I mean I still had privileges so I didn't I didn't end up in the street um but uh you know uh, we just chilled out and we would eat and hang out and I had all this great time because I had time mm-hmm. I mean I was I was disabled and off the grid so to speak and what that gave me was the, the gift of time. Because like I said, I had the privileges, so I wasn't out in the street. I had a house. You know, I had a roof over my head. I, you know, my wife, fortunately, we never filed our marriage license. So when I went bankrupt, she didn't have to go down with me. And mm. she was a, a new teacher, so we had some money. Okay. You know, enough money to buy food and, you know, pay bills. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was cool. But, so it just changed my whole reality of what meaning was for me. That is so beautiful, like seriously, because one, just simply what you said, I think is beautiful. Two, I think that a lot of people need to hear that now, and especially younger people. Like my biggest age 
age range is 18 to 24. No, interesting. And every time I interview someone who's in that age range, like, I've lost count on, like, how many people's biggest fear, biggest insecurity, biggest secret is that they're scared of failing. They're, they're scared of not being successful. Like, they're, like, they're not getting the best grades. Like, they don't have the best job. And I always tried to tell them, like, because, like, I'm 30, so I'm, like, in between you and them. And, like, I wouldn't say I'm fully at the mindset that you're at, but I'm really working towards it. And, like, just talking to people in that age range is, like, hard to, like, you can't, it's hard to tell them through words, hey, like, that's not what's important. They almost have to experience it. Or I think the second best thing is hearing someone who has gone through something, like, so... Um, like profound kind of having you say that like with me listening to you as much as I thought I didn't care about success like it just like really shifted me a little more too so I think that's really beautiful well I would I would offer this I mean um, I, I I would just say that often what we're presented with within the context of America in particular is that what we what we're told to believe is success isn't success I mean that's what I like I say I bought into the the belief that you needed to have acquire money and titles and some form of establishment certified you know respect but that's that was empty I mean how big of a house do you need how many cars do you need how many shiny things do you need you know I don't I don't know those things those things don't really matter yeah you know so I mean it's just doing no harm and reaching out and trying to love people and help people is really kind of where it's at yeah no that's, I mean, that's so what true. gave back to me you know so that's why i say i think that's just a little twisted what we're asking yeah know, what we're telling what the what's reflected you know particularly it's sort of now and so it's, it's even more so you know i thought i thought when the internet kind of because i'm old enough before the internet <laughs> and so i was early on the internet and i kind of thought the internet was going to be this amazing democratization thing and was going to really and now it's just co-opted by stuff more stuff yeah and instagram and all these things where everybody's trying to put their perfect life out there people want to get the right photo with what's and so then if you're a person that's struggling and then you look at that stuff and you think oh well i'm not living that life and then everybody's striving for some thing that's not even real it's not real <laughs> so it's, it's sort of sad but i don't know no, yeah, no, that's really true. And it's also something I'm guilty of, too. Like, if I'm having a bad day, I'm not going to go on Instagram and be like, hey, guys, I'm having a bad day. I would probably take a picture of the sunset later that day and be like, look at what I'm seeing right now, you know? It's like, I don't know. But again, like, as the older I'm getting, the more I'm realizing that, too. I'm just like, if I'm not going to post what's real, I'm just not going to post anything at all. But one of the things I think is interesting, I mean, at least for me, and I wish it was, I wish it was sort of different, but... I never really learned anything profound about myself or about life when things were going great. You know, I was just too busy having a good time and being, you know, kind of dumb. There's something you said earlier, too, that I want to, like, follow up on, too. You specifically said that success to you is um, spending quality time with people. Mm -hmm. And then you also said while eating. Yeah, well, I found that, um, I found that, uh, you know, eating is just a, a, it's a very significant pleasure. I mean, eating and there's sex and there's eating <laughs> that for people will usually say are good things, right? You know, there's not a lot of argument there. And so um, I cook and the food thing's always been a, a thing for me, but my game got 
very elevated when I was dying because I was sort of in this space where I realized like every meal could be my last and I sort of tripped out on that. So I got very real about trying to make extremely good food all the time. <laughs> and, you know, you, you cook, people will come. Yeah. And then, you know, everybody's hanging out and they like to eat and they like to drink and then you end up having quality time. Would you be down to share a favorite conversation you've shared with someone over food? It'd be hard for me to pick a single conversation. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe yeah. one that stands out to you. I would, like I wouldn't want you to like um, <laughs> rank them. Okay, well here here would be one. Um, when I finally met um, the family of my heart donor, so mm. Richie Brassard. I have Richie Brassard's heart. Richie Brassard was 16 years old when he passed. Um, he was riding on top of a pickup truck, um, coming from a school event with his buddies, you know, car surfing and his buddy hit a turn and he went off and he died of massive head trauma um, through the transplant organization I wrote a letter expressing my gratitude and the life changing situation that the heart you know had done for me and it took his mom and dad 10 years before they reached out and um, in my letter I just said hey you know if you're ever into it I'd like to give you a hug and cook you dinner and so when they reached out um, they came over and I cooked them dinner and I gave him a hug. And so we they brought photo albums and we had this amazing, you know, like family moment where they introduced their son and the heart and we went through this whole thing. It was incredibly powerful. I'm trying so hard not to cry right now. Yeah, it was really powerful. <laughs> so do you think about that often that you have his heart? Oh yeah. Yeah, I have his picture. I have this picture in my living room. I also have my old heart in a jar. You do? In my living room. Like on display? Yeah, so the I have it in a I have it in a in an antique um like uh, chemistry type like a lab yeah. jar and the thing that's interesting about the heart is it's notoriously just sitting in my living room. It's like out in the open. But for years people would come in and they would only see it when they were when they were ready we, it sort of had a mystique because we would not bring attention to it you know, we would say oh hey did you see the heart yeah you know? but some people would walk in be the first thing they'd seen other people came into my house three four five years and then one day just went holy sh- <laughs> is that your old heart <laughs> is there a reason why you like you want it there or? um you know when i got on the transplant list um I don't know, you dial, you know, you have death, a lot of death. I had a lot of death around me too before it happened. Like my brother, my brother died of AIDS before, before, you know, he got it. I should say he got AIDS before we even called it AIDS. And then my, AIDS killed every gay man I knew and I knew a lot of them. Um, so there was a lot of death around me and, and stuff. So you just get, I'm accustomed to it. I have a more, I'm, I'm accept, death is natural to me. We don't oh, talk yeah. about death enough. We're all going to die. You need I to agree. know, you got to dig the fact you're going to die and not waste your time. But, um, so when I got on the transplant list, I just said to the people, because they made you go through a psychological profile. And so one of the questions I said, well, so when you take my heart, I want, I want my heart back. And that's cool, right? And they're like, uh, they didn't, that was a first for them. (laughs) So they were like, yeah, yeah, we can do that. And so when I left the hospital, they gave me my heart in a plastic bucket. Oh my God. In alcohol, right? And my heart's huge. Because I had this dilated cardiac myopathy means your heart gets so large it can't oh, pump really? anymore. Okay. So, you know, your heart's supposed to be the size of your fist. Yeah. My my old heart is 
is like you know this big that's like half your torso it was crazy like it was terrible yeah that's why i was dying <laughs> but anyway so it fills up this jar and i just sort of wanted that as a testimony to that which was and and also you know i would play games with it i'd say like well you know in certain ancient cultures this makes me a god because i have my own heart my living <laughs> is that true is that actually a thing <laughs> i made that joke. maybe that's maybe that's true but you know i would just say it oh because my it was because it was you know it gets people thinking <laughs> that's so funny <laughs> look bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters and what do i even say other than hey <sighs> well that's why they're introducing an all-new bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier starting the chat better and dating safer they've changed so you don't have to Download the new Bumble now. So you were like 36 when you did the transplant then? Yeah, about that, 37. Was it pretty fast after that where you felt your body like coming back to life? The second I woke up in the ICU, I felt better than I had in years. I was on an exercise bike within five hours. I got out of the hospital in nine days, which at that time was kind of a record. A lot of crazy things happened, you know, like like all my skin peeled off. Oh, really? Because when I was so sick, I'm upper, my upper dermis really wasn't getting blood flow. So when I got a new heart, all of a sudden, all of my skin got blood flow again. And I just shed like a snake. Oh, my God. Just, became, just your left side, too? The whole thing. My, I, I, like, I did a total body peel. No way. I grew hair on my ears. Like, little fuzzy hair, new fuzz. I was oh, all really? fuzzy. It was like newborn. <laughs> it was super weird. <laughs> I was really pretty crazy. There's a lot of metaphor there. You know, know, but, uh, yeah. So you said something else. It's so interesting. It's so crazy that, like, the things you're saying are so crazy to me because you're, like, just touching base on my last three interviews. Oh, interesting. You talked about success, and you talked about capitalism, and now you're talking about death, which is, um, one, it's it's something I struggle with the idea of like having loved ones die so i always talk to my mom i'm like mom why don't we just make death more normal so but isn't that funny that you need to make death more normal something that is just so in and of itself i know normal? Yeah, it's, it's i mean that's probably the, the most thing. normal thing it's, you know it's inevitable yeah <laughs> so that's the thing it, you know in this culture in particular it's like you know nobody nobody gets around that i'm gonna i usually ask questions for my audience but i have a question for you for me okay. do you have like what can you tell me to kind of make death less scary to me? Um, well, I don't know. What? What? I, sh- I guess I would have to ask you. What about death? Do you find scary? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> I'm not what? used to being yeah. asked questions. Yeah. Why are you afraid of death? Um, I guess like I'm not scared of me dying. Oh. I'm scared of like, like my mom dying. Mm-hmm. Like having to live without her. Loss. Yeah. yeah. You're afraid of loss. Yeah. Well, you experience loss and then you deal with it. Like, like I say, my, my brother died. He was 31. Um, and so when he died, I was 27. You know, you don't, I didn't expect my brother to be dead when I was 27. Yeah. But he was. You know, you expect your parents to die. You expect older people to die. That's something you give some thought to. But you don't expect your friends to die, necessarily, unless your friends are just total circus. So you don't expect that, but then it comes, and then you learn to appreciate the time you had with them. Um, do you mind if I look down a list? Are you in a hurry? No. no. Okay, so I have 
questions on my channel that are um, like really popular. My audience enjoys hearing strangers answer, and okay. one of them is, "Who's one stranger you still remember? Is there a stranger that like stood out to you at some point in your life?" Well, let's see. I mean, if there's a stranger that you know, you all st you always start out as a stranger when you meet a new person, That's so true. they become your friend. So unless it's family. Oh, or, true, true. But even then, I mean, even if then, it, yeah, yeah the, your first contact with somebody, they are technically a stranger, right? That so, is so true. So <laughs> we're all strangers. We're all strangers <laughs> for a moment. <laughs> that's, that's so cool. Um, so what I'll do is I'll uh, I'll uh, I'll focus it on um, people that I that that I didn't know and did not become my friend. How about that? Okay. Um, and also, it's it's a it's a good story. So I got blown up. On a, on a power tower in high school. Oh, dang. So there's a tower. If you were driving on the 8 West and you get to the exchange for the 5. Okay. If you look to your left and it'd be like Old Town, you'll see yeah. an A-frame power tower that's right next to the freeway. Okay, I'm going to look out for that next yeah. time. Okay. So kids in this neighborhood, because I grew up in this neighborhood, we used to climb that thing in high school. It was okay. just a thing. You go and you drink your beers and do whatever that, right? Mm -hmm. So one night, me and this dude climbed this thing. And when we stepped off on the, on the catwalk, the uh, transformer underneath us blew up and set us on fire. Ooh. And uh, it was a relatively spectacular event because people came to the space. And after we got, we put ourselves out and we dealt with all that and we climbed down. I'm giving you the Cliff Notes version of the story. We climbed the fence and we were, you know, we were in trouble. We needed to go to the hospital because we were, my friend in particular, had taken 55% third degree burns. And um, first person came up and it was some dude and a woman and he was driving a Cadillac. And I said, hey man, we need some help. Can you take us to the hospital? And he said, no. <laughs> so then a, wow. a car was coming right up behind him and it was a dude in a microbus. VW Microbus, and I said the same question to him, you know, same way, and he's like, yeah, get in. So, put my friend in the front seat, and I got in the back, and he had a Doberman Pinscher. What is that? It's a dog. Oh, okay. And so the dog, I knew we were in trouble, because the dog was looking at me in a way that a dog had never looked at me like, whoa, oh, no. you're... And it was like sniffing us, you know, and tried to lick my neck because I burned oh, all the skin. No. I had all my like, skin was hanging off my neck. And uh, this dude um, took us to the hospital and dropped us off. And that was it. But one dude said no, and the other dude said yes. So I always remember that guy. And I died. I lost a bunch of memories. I had a whole but bunch that, of stuff happen to me. But that event is crystal clear. <laughs> And I could tell you how they were dressed. I mean, I remember their clothes. Wow. I remember everything about them. I was, I was, I needed to get to the hospital. What were, <laughs> so you and your friend both were able to put out the fire yourself, like. Um, well, yeah. After first, I thought when when it happened, I stepped off on the tower second, and then everything went green, and I thought I was in some sort of quasi death event. I thought I had fallen, oh. and I was saying to myself, "Oh, this is death." And I was waiting to like, hit the rungs of the tower on the way down. I was thinking, oh, I'm dead. Because I didn't know. Because I couldn't feel anything around me. The tower yeah. disappeared and everything went green. And then when the green stopped, then all of a sudden I realized I was holding on to the tower. And my friend was standing in front of me like this, completely engulfed in flames. And 
you know, what what do you do? You, do, you, do you know what to do? What you're supposed to do when you're in, on fire? I mean, I, in elementary school, they would say stop, drop, and roll. Exactly. <laughs> so that's what they told me too. So I'm yeah. yelling at him, and I'm like, John, you've got to roll. You've got to roll. But we're on a catwalk, <laughs> 135 feet up in the air, and he's yeah. trying to get down. But I'm realizing he's not going to be able to do that. And I, so I have to try to get myself to release my hands because I was like sort of frozen in time. And so yeah. I get to him and I start patting on him and then tearing his clothes off and his clothes are wrapping on my arms and I'm shaking him off and and I finally get his clothes off and his skin's on fire and I have to beat him down and finally I put him out and then I realize well what's up with me and my clothes luckily had not ignited they just melted I had a sweater that melted on me Um, and I felt my face and like I felt up here and like all my skin on my face was hanging off and then I I freaked out like I'm looking at him and he's just burnt and I just said, we're going to die if we don't get out this tower. And if you can't make it, I'll go get help. But we should go. And I'd burned my retinas so I couldn't see, but I'd climbed the tower enough so I could, I remembered it. I could just feel my way out. And it was terrible. It was just such a, it was so crazy. And that sounds so, so intense. It was super intense. And like I say, so when those cars came, I was 100% alert. Yeah. <laughs> and needing to get, I mean, I knew which hospital I needed to go to. I knew, you know, how to get there. I was, you know, I was ready to get to the hospital. Were your parents like, what the heck were you doing? Um, well, no, it was a different time. I mean, you know, I was, oh. I did stupid, I did stupid shit all the time. So it wasn't my mom, wasn't, it was just like, oh my God, what have you done this time? Type of thing. Um, so my last, how I end every podcast is I ask the stranger I'm interviewing, what's been uh, the most painful part of your journey? Not, not like physically, but like just in other terms and then and what's been the most beautiful part of your journey and if you could have shared the answer and like with specific uh situations as in, as opposed to like general answers that would be great too hmm. Pain. pain's an interesting concept i mean so much of life is pain but yet like i said earlier you know so much of your learning is in times of pain so it's always a, it's always sort of a, a double-edged sword, you know. Um, I'd say the hardest thing is the realization of the limit of your ability to help people in the midst of their own crisis, mm. and you know, the specifically like. You know, like for like my brother, my brother was, you know, sick mm-hmm. and he went through a period of dementia. And when he was in his state of dementia, he became extremely paranoid and didn't thought I was an agent, the, you know, that was undermining him. And I had to actually stop talking to my own brother near his deathbed. Um, and that was incredibly painful. And there was nothing I could do about that. Yeah. And the, even though we had this wonderful relationship at that moment we had to I had to sever it because every time I dealt with him or talked to him he would freak out because he thought I was some sort of like agent of doom so limits of the limits of your efficacy can be extremely painful um joy um it would be the antithesis of that you know I mean 
there's I've just I've had just such a I've been so lucky I'm so privileged I mean I'm I realize all of my gifts the moment I, I share you know when I talk about the transplant stuff usually when I do transplant talks is I say you know um, I was laying on on the in the kite park down by uh, Fiesta Island on my back with my at the time two-year-old daughter in the middle of the week watching kites fly on a typical San Diego day and I had 20 bucks in my pocket and that 20 bucks had to last the whole week for whatever discretionary spending we were going to do. I was bankrupt. I had no more career. I was completely anonymous but I realized I was free and like I said I wasn't in danger. We could pay for the the roof over our head we could eat to keep the lights on so we had the basic needs covered and I was free and I always thought I was going to get that when I was rich and powerful and dominant and all these other bullshit things but here we were in the middle of the week free watching kites fly on a sun warmer day and we could have enough money to go get a burrito if we wanted to it was such a an epiphanic moment to realize that I had everything that I needed in life and all the gifts, all the things were all right there. Yeah. And I just did, you know. So. Oh, man. I feel lucky that I met you today. Oh, thanks. Yeah. It's been nice to, to talk. I appreciate you stopping, first of all. And I appreciate you saying yes. And I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and to get deep, too. Because I know, like, it does take some vulnerability to, like, talk about past experiences. So, yeah. thank well, this you is, again. Yeah, this is great. Yeah. It's fun, right? Yeah, it's like <laughs> Cool. Yeah, I think we're good, right? Yeah, I think Out so. there in podcast land. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank good you. job. Awesome. Okay. Wow. I feel like a new person after that conversation. (laughs) (laughs) And that is it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. Before you go, I do have a huge favor to ask. Because my podcast is so new and there are so many amazing podcasts out there, the best way you can help me stand out and grow is to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcast. This podcast is available on other platforms as well, like Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, and many others. So following and subscribing on there will help also, but... Again, the best thing you could do is to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcast. I hope you'll consider doing it. To make it fun, I thought it would be cool for you all to answer the following question under hopefully a five-star review. Who's one stranger you still remember? I'll read through all your answers, share some on my Instagram story. So if you want me to tag you, please make sure to include your Instagram handle as well. My Instagram handle is actually thor dot A-Y-A. Thank you so much. I love you all and we'll meet again next Tuesday.